Why don't you open your Bibles with me to, to Luke chapter 15. And because I believe in God's word so much, and because I believe that this is no time for you to be naive about his word, that's why I start every message with open his Bible too. And we allow his word to speak for, directly to us, whether, you, whether you're old school and you use a leather-bound Bible with pages and all of that other stuff, or you're high-tech and I use both and you use a, a tablet, or you use a smartphone, whatever. See, it doesn't matter to me how you get your word. What matters to me is, is that you get his word, you get in his word, you read his word, and you understand and you know what the Bible teaches. So Luke chapter 15, I started this, these two sermons, I started this series last week, and we begin looking at, at the, the story of, 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 well, the three lost things, the lost coin, uh, the lost sheep, the lost son. And, uh, and we started looking at the four common silver, th silver threads that ran through each story. And so we started looking at that. And so last week we focused more on the prodigal. We focused more on the son that left, uh, squandered uh, his wealth, and came back home. And we, we, we focused on that. And this week we're going to focus on the, the older brother, who, by the way, I think the story of the older brother is, is the saddest story in, in, in this group of stories that Jesus tells. Now, Jesus told this story when a group of Pharisees uh, begin to accuse him and say, you eat with sinners and all of that other stuff. And so they started complaining about him. They started criticizing him. And so Jesus tells three stories with, with four common threads that run through them to help us understand that it's more than a story about a lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. It's more than a story about a relationship between a dad and a son that this really is the picture of the character, the image of God, and how we relate to God and how God relates to us. So we're going to pick the story up in Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Now listen, just so we're all tracking, and in case you weren't here last week, and maybe you're not familiar with the story, is that, that, that there's his son, and he goes to his dad, and he said, Dad, I don't want to have a relationship with you any longer. I, I, like, I'm out of here. And so as a result of this, I want my share of the inheritance now. So inter interesting things that happened with that. And so he gave him a third, which is what he was supposed to do. He gave him a third of, of his share, of the son's share. The son leaves to a distant country. Uh, he hits rock bottom. His life falls apart. Uh, he, the scripture says that he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses because of all the consequences. Uh, he's a young Jewish boy. He's, he's feeding pigs, which that was the lowest of lows for a Jewish boy because they looked at pigs as unclean. And so this young man is now saying, I just wish I could eat what, what, uh, what the pigs are getting to eat. And then all of a sudden he began to focus on his dad's character, that dad would accept me back. So he, he starts the, the, the rehearsed speech. He heads home. Uh, he, he comes to the part where he says, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. Dad cuts him off and says, you don't need to say anymore. I'm not going to treat you like a hired servant. Uh, you're not a slave. You're a child of mine. You're always a child of mine. Welcomes him in, throws a party, and that's when the older brother gets mad. Now, that's an understatement. The other, older brother has, has not only an offended spirit, but he has a religious spirit. And so, so, so let's just walk through this. I'm entitling this message, The Tragedy of an Offended Spirit. That's why I think this boy is the saddest son of the story. And so let's just pick up the story, verse 25. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So older brothers should be excited. Older brothers should be celebrating. 
older brother is not. Verse 28, because he has an offended spirit. Uh, but he was angry and refused to go in. And so his father came out and he entreated him. In other words, he like begs him, son, come in. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat. You almost need to re read this with like a whiny voice, right? And then that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, that's important. I mean, there's so much in here. Listen, this is the easiest message to preach because these principles just begin jumping off the page. And who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. In other words, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe you're treating him like that and you're treating me like this. And then he said, and he said to him, the father, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. And so I'm entitling this message, The Tragedy of the Offended Spirit. Have you ever been offended? Have you ever been mad at God? Because it appeared he blessed someone else and he didn't bless you. That you knew their lifestyle. You knew some of their choices. You knew some of the things that they'd done. And all of a sudden you think, you know, it's just not fair. Why is God blessing me? And it seems like he's not blessing me. Have you ever been offended at an individual? And you developed an offended spirit. And whenever they showed up, it just, it just ruins your day. It just, it just like, it just, it was like this meltdown. Like, I cannot believe he's here. I cannot believe she's here. And this message will help us to understand just the tragedy of the offended spirit. And then the cure of it as well. And so the first thing I want us to look at before we take the Lord's Supper together is just the characteristics of an offended spirit so that we can either notice it in someone else or we can see it in our own life that there's characteristics of an offended spirit regardless of who has hurt you. Verse 28, and we're just going to walk through this text together. I mean, I think the most powerful thing of God's word is this, is when we deliver God's word in such a way that we let his word just speaks to us. In verse 28, he says... But, the, but he, talking about the older son, but he was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. In other words, his father came out and begged him. Listen, the first, the first phase, the first characteristic of an offended spirit, offended spirit is anger. I mean, the scripture says that he was anger, angry. Anger is an emotional response of a reaction of hostility that brings personal displeasure either to you or to someone else. Now listen, if you were to sit down with a counselor or a psychologist and you started asking them about the, 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 the stages of anger, do you realize there's stages of anger? Fact is, there's five stages of anger, and so it starts off with a mild irritation. I mean, you can have a mild irritation waiting in line at the grocery store, at Walmart, uh, driving your car, someone's text messaging and not paying attention to highway signs or whatever, or your neighbors aren't following the rules about fireworks or whatever, and you can just have, you know, I just want to go to bed. I just want to go to bed now. Anyway, anyway we'll move on. <laughs> so he starts out, you can have a mild irritation. And then, or, or, then the next stage is like an indignation. An indignation is this feeling that, that there must be retribution. There must be, there must be revenge. There must be someone better pay a price for what they've done. And then if that's, if that's left unchecked, it will move to wrath. And listen, wrath never goes unexpressed. Wrath is a strong desire to play out in motion revenge and retaliation, which can lead to fury, which is, which is this issue of violence. And it can be a loss of, of, of like 
emotional control to where people can say weird things, they can say dumb things, they can do dumb things, and then if, if that's left unchecked, then there's this issue of just rage. Rage, rage is the most dangerous, and listen, there's never anything funny about rage. Rage, something's going to get thrown, somebody's going to get hit, someone's going to get harmed, somebody's going to get hurt. That's why, that's why we talk like, like, like road rage, right? One time I watched road, road rage go down right in front of me on I-25. There was a car that was in the fast lane, and, and, it, was fr and it was frustrating me too, but not to this level. And it, it, it frustrated another driver to where the, the other driver could not get around this individual. So he literally, and I saw what was happening, so I backed off on the brakes and, and slowed down which was a miracle for me. And so, and so the individual that got upset changed lanes, got an emergency lane, passed the guy, got in front of him, and then locked up his brakes. And there, I mean, there were like cars everywhere. See, rage, there's nothing funny about rage. Rage is da dangerous. A few years ago in L.A., there was a news story about the man that systematically killed all four of his kids. And in testimony... On the witness stand and testimony with police officers, he said, I was in a fit of rage. I was in a fit of rage. I know, listen, there's nothing funny about this issue of rage. And so when it's said in verse 28, it's gone. But when it's said in verse 28, that, there it is. You guys are awesome. But when it says, but he was angry, you know what stage of anger that was? Rage. The son's in a rage. There's a party going on, but he has an offended spirit, and there's a celebration going on. And so now all of a sudden, dad comes out. And so the first stage is anger. The second stage of offended spirit is this, isolation, to where someone just says, you know what, I'm just going to isolate. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to isolate. And that's where he said the dad tried to talk him into going on, and the son refused to go in. In other words, you know what he's saying? He's saying as long as he's in there, I'm not coming in. As long as he's there, I'm not coming in. As long as she's there, I'm not coming in. In other words, this is issue of isolation. Now listen, for a number of years, the way that I read God's word daily was I would read the proverb of the day, of the calendar day, whatever it was. I, you know, if it was the first, I read Proverbs 1. And then I read six chapters of, Psalm, uh, of the Psalms. And what that allowed me to do is, in a, in a course of a month, I read through Proverbs and I read through the Psalms. Proverbs helps you to relate to man. And Psalms helps you to relate to God. That wasn't my method. It was a method I adopted from Billy Graham. And so now I life journal every morning, like many of you, but I still hang on to the, that of the Proverbs, and I read, I read the Proverbs of the day. Proverbs has a lot to say about this issue of isolation. fact is, Proverbs 18.1 tells us about isolation, that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. In other words, I'll emotionally punish you. I'll just let you know I'm upset. I mean, really and truly. And, the, and then he goes on about this issue of isolation. And you can do a word study. You, you can go online, blueleather.com, and there's a couple of resources. Maybe you have some Bible software. You can do old school with a concordance with you version with your Bible. You can do a word search. And you just begin searching isolation and the damage and the danger that, that, that the Proverbs warns about. And then it goes on. It says, oh, someone who isolates? They not only want their own way, they only seek their own desire. You know, we watch that with, with, with uh, like our grandkids. Our grandkids are almost perfect. And, uh, uh, but, but one of the areas that they struggle in is when they don't get something their way, they get the pouty face and they go isolate. I'm not going to play with you. I'm not going to talk with you. I'm not going to do any of that. And so 
And so, but Proverbs will say, guess what about this issue of isolation? The person that isolates, they really seek their own desire. They, they want their own way. And they break out against sound judgment. This is the young man. See, the danger of an offended spirit is nobody can speak into your life. The dad's coming out and he says, son, your brother who was lost is now found. We should celebrate. He's like refusing to go in. I mean, there is a party going on. There is a celebration going on. And, and the, the older brother is missing it. I mean, is there someone in your life that whenever they show up, it just like kind of, they just rain on your parade. They show up, and you, I cannot believe he's here. I cannot believe she's here. After all she's done to me, after all he's done, can I tell you that? That could be an offended spirit. I mean, when you look at this, and you see this in this young man's life, I mean, anytime, anytime sin is present, isolation is not far away. I should, this is what Proverbs says. Isolation is not far behind. Another characteristic of an offended spirit is self-centeredness. In other words, see, at this point, when, when someone's offended, they no longer care about the relationship. You know what they care about? They don't care about reconciliation. They care about someone paying. I mean, it, it all turns, someone's going to have to pay a price. So, and, so, and so watch this, uh, verse 29. But he answered your father, look, and you just see the self-centeredness. Look, these many years, I, you can circle the words I. I have a, my hard copy Bible. Look, look, these years, many years, I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Listen, I know it's subtle, but it's important. This older brother, he didn't care about a relationship with his dad. He didn't say, Dad, you didn't throw me a party with my friends and you so I could celebrate with you. It was just his friends. But his son had an eye problem. See, see when someone gets offended and they carry an offended spirit they become very self-centered it becomes all about them which can move into self-pity i mean when, when he said in verse 29 he just said he says that that you never that you never gave me a young goat that i might celebrate with my friends now listen in their culture when jesus is telling this story they're tracking they got it they understood there's a difference in a party with a young goat where a young goat is served versus a fattened calf um, a young goat was used in a party that was just for the family. Uh, so it, it would feed enough people, it would feed a family, and probably your servants. But other than that, it wouldn't feed anybody else. Now, if you throw a party with a fattened calf, that's way more than your family can eat. That's way more than your servants can eat. Fact is, whenever that goes down in Scripture, you know there is a party going on, and it is a party for the whole town. And so all of a sudden, this young man, or the, the older brother, is self-pity. He said, Dad, you didn't even give me a small party. Dad, you, didn't even, you never, ever gave me a pizza party at Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, I didn't want the big party. I didn't want the big stuff. You never did that for me. And all of a sudden, an offended spirit, I'm just telling you, offended spirit will live in the world of comparisons. They're always comparing what someone else is getting versus them. And it... And it's this issue of self-pity that if you really knew me, and if you really knew how great I have been, you would appreciate me more than you appreciate the other one. Father, I've, I've worked for you, and I've slaved for you, and I've done everything you've asked. Can I just tell you, this is commitment without heart. 
In the church, you can be a religious spirit. God, I'll serve you as long as you're useful to me. God, I'll serve you as long as life works out the way I think it should. And if it doesn't, guess what? I'm going to bail. It is commitment without heart. The older brother, I think, is the saddest one in the story. He didn't care anything about the relationship with the dad. It was only what dad could do for him. Jesus is trying to help us to understand that people carry this with God. And that in, in, in religion and in Christianity, that people can carry that for him. And then all of a sudden it moves into another characteristic, which is accusation. Watch this, verse 30. But when this son of yours... Well, let's stop right there. He doesn't even see his brother as his brother anymore. An offended spirit does not care about the relationship. He's not my brother. He's your son. I'm just telling you. Listen, let me tell you something. Christians... When a brother or sister offends you, they're still your brother and sister in Christ, regardless of how mad you are at them. They're still. Couples who are married, and your spouse is a believer, yes, they may be your husband or your wife, but they're also your brother and sister in Christ. And all of a sudden, you see these accusations. He's not my brother. He's your son. Who, is, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. He's like, seriously? He lives his life like that, religious spirit. I'm better than him because I've followed all the rules. We'll talk about that. But accusation after accusation. Fact is, lie after lie. Listen, let me tell you, an offended spirit will always exaggerate, will always lie, will always try to get as many people to take up their offense with them. And so the first accusation that he made, one is, he's no longer my brother, he's your son. Second accusation is this, he squandered your property. Well, that was just an outright lie. He never squandered any of the dad's property. He never squandered any of the older brother's property. In Jewish culture, before a dad would die, that if he decided to disperse the inheritance to his children, then what would happen is, is, is to the younger brother, the older brother would get two-thirds, the younger brother gets a third. But since the dad is still, li still living, he doesn't disperse any of the property or the principal. It's only the income. So the younger brother, the prodigal, got a third of his money. So he didn't squander anything of the dad's. He didn't squander anything of the older brother. So that's an absolute lie. It's just not true. And then he goes on and says, oh, and by the way, you want to know who he squandered that property with? Prostitutes. How did he know that? How did he? I'm confused. It never says it in the text. The older brother, where was he when the party went down? He's in the field. He didn't even know brother was back. He's in the field. He's working in the field. He hears music and dancing. And she says, hey, I'm going to see what's going on at dad's house. He goes in, he asks a servant. So it's clear in the text that he never had a conversation with the prodigal. When someone has an offended spirit, it's accusation after accusation. I'm telling you, in any conflict, nobody is 100% right and nobody's 100% wrong. 
When someone has an offended spirit, they'll make accusation after accusation after accusation. Listen, can I just tell you this? God takes it very seriously. When we make accusations against his children, it's clear in the story. Fact is, Jesus went so far to say in Revelation that when we do that, you take on the ministry of Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, that always is accusing Christians. I'm telling you the most dangerous thing in community, it can be a family, it can be a church, it can be a place of work, it can be a place of business, it can be wherever, is this issue of just an offended spirit. And we, we have to know the characteristics so that we can see them in our life and we can see them in the lives of others and understand where they're coming from. And so there's characteristics of an offended spirit, but there's also a cost of an offended spirit. Listen, let me tell you something. There's a huge cost, what the Bible teaches to us personally, if we have an offended spirit, but there's also a cost to others. See, the problem with an offended spirit is it, it will destroy the health in the community of a family, of a business, of a church, because all of a sudden you see that the cost came and it destroyed community because now you've, you've got the older brother. There is a party going on inside. And he's alienating himself. He's alienating himself from his dad. He's alienating himself with his brother. He's alienating himself with friends and family. Because remember, because the party's with a fattened calf, the whole community is... And the whole community is turned out. Can, can, can I just tell you, many people, most people, majority of people have left church because of an offended spirit. Because someone has offended them, because someone has hurt them, because someone has disappointed them, and they'll say things like, I will never go back there as long as he's there. I will never go back there as long as she's there. Just telling you, this issue of an offended spirit is just so serious. It, it hurts community, but you know what it does even deeper? It robs you of your happiness. There, there's a personal cost when you carry a, an offended spirit or when someone carries an offended spirit. So listen, revenge or vengeance has never claimed to, nor will it ever give you satisfaction, happiness, and joy. The crazy thing about revenge is this, is that even when you get revenge, it's just never enough. And it always leaves you wanting more. When, 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 when we carry bitterness in our hearts, I'm telling you, an offended spirit will suck the happiness and joy right out of you. You can be offended at someone, and they don't even know you're upset with them. And they're going on with their life, and you guess what? That can even give you more anger, right? Can you imagine the older brother sitting outside, and the louder the music got, and the louder the laughter got, and the louder the celebration got? Probably the more and more angry he got. Because he's thinking, I cannot believe they're having a good time in there. I cannot believe they're celebrating. He's home. See, this issue of an offended spirit destroys a lot. There's a cost. And see, an offended spirit, will, it will hurt your perspective in life. I mean, it will hurt your perspective. When you read this and he has this talk with his dad, I mean, you just, you just look at it. His, his, his perspective is skewed. His, 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 his belief in God or his Christianity is skewed. And it blinds you. See, the most dangerous thing is this. It blinds you to your own sin. It, that's, that's why when someone has an offended spirit, they can't own anything. They can't even own their part of the conflict. They can't own their part of the issue because all of a sudden an offended spirit will rise up and it will blind you 
to your sin. Look at this, verse 29. But he answered your father, his father. Look these many years, I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Seriously? He's lived a perfect life. Here's what's crazy. He's disobeying the command of his dad right now while he's saying that. Dad's saying, son, come in. Dad's saying, son, I'm telling you, he's still your brother. I need you to come into the party now. When you, when you understand, entreated in the Greek is a deep, emotional, begging, pleading, commanding word. It's an imperative. Why he's saying this, he's disobeying his dad. That's the danger of an offended spirit. It can blind you of your sin. It can blind you the part you play. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with your friends. You know what he's saying? Dad, this is your fault. It's your fault. The reason I'm offended, the reason I'm mad, Dad, if you're a better dad, God, if you're a better God, if you handle things differently, I wouldn't be offended. See, one of the dangerous things is, is we misunderstand God's grace. And that was happening with the older brother. He should have celebrated God's grace. That God is a God that forgives. That God is a God that accepts. That God doesn't punish and made the son live like a hired servant, but took him in as a child. Listen, let me just tell you, just so we're tracking, in the Christian life as a believer, your obedience does not obligate God to bless you. That's religion. Religion is this. And we're not about religion here at Fellowship of the Rockies. Religion is this. That you obey God because he's useful. Christianity is this. You obey God because it's a love relationship. You obey God because you love him and you care for him. And it's something that comes deep within. See, here's the crazy thing about the offended spirit and the cost. The older brother was totally insensitive to the pain of others. He didn't even get it. He couldn't even imagine what life was like for the prodigal. Now listen, I'm telling you, I can relate to both these guys. I've been the prodigal, <laughs> and I've been the older brother. I've been both. And so I can, I, in, in my past, I can track with both of these guys, and I can understand but there comes a time when you've got to understand that an offended spirit is, listen, offended spirit is blind to the pain, the personal pain of others. He was blind to the pain that he was causing his dad. He was blind to the pain that he was causing his brother. He was blind to the pain that his dad and brother had gone through. He was blind to it. He was blind to the pain, that it was an embarrassment that it was causing his dad that, that he has a kid outside refusing to go in and making a scene when the whole community's there. The last thing is this, that there's a cure for an offended spirit. And I, I'm just going to tell you, a cure can only come from God. And the great thing in the story is God always initiates the healing. And I mean, I mean that's, that's what the story's about. With the lost son, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the older brother. It's this picture that God initiates. Listen, I'm telling you, God pursues you. God relentlessly pursues you. When you're a child of His, He initiates the healing. Verse 28, 
But he was angry. He refused to go in. And his father came out and begged him, entreated him to come in. And so we got to understand God, God initiates the healing. And we have to accept and rest in God's abiding presence. Listen, I'm telling you, when it's a love relationship with him, then his presence is enough. I mean, a relationship with Jesus Christ and what he gives us, that is enough. Everything else is like icing on the cake. Verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. In other words, son, you've got abundant provisions for life. Understand. When someone hurts you, offends you, they are not taking anything away from you that God has given you. And I think sometimes that's where the rub is. This son did not spend any of the brother's money. When God blesses someone else, he does not have to take a blessing away from you to bless someone else. His blessings are abundant. Here's what's crazy to me in this story. In all three stories, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. The shepherd found the lost sheep and they threw a party. The lady found a lost coin and they threw a party. I mean, it's like closure in those two stories. The prodigal, the lost son, dad goes out, son comes home, he finds the lost son, party. Here's what bothers me about this text, and we probably won't have an answer to this question until heaven. How did the story end with the older brother? It doesn't say. And I'm just telling you, I have an inquiring mind, and I want to know. And we won't, probably won't know this side of heaven. But can, ta- can I tell you why I believe Jesus left it open-ended? I mean, we don't know. Did, did, did the son restore his relationship with his dad, his brother? Or did the son go off and live in misery the rest of his life? We don't know. And here's the reason I think that God left this question open-ended. Because he wanted us to place ourselves in the story and say, how does it end for me? How does it end for me? Are we going to live a life of bitterness? Are we going to live a life of offense? Are we going to live a life of retaliation and all of this other stuff? Are we going to live a life of forgiveness? And are we going to see God the Father as the perfect Father in this story that has unconditional love for us? See, that's what moves us right into communion or the, or the Lord's Supper. Our ushers and, and servers are going to make their way to the back as they begin to prepare the elements, as they begin to prepare the the bread and the juice, and in just a few minutes, they're going to begin handing the bread and the juice out. And for us, what brought the, the son, the prodigal, back to the father was he understood the characteristics of the father that he was loving and he's forgiving and that he was accepting. And so the question for us before we take of the bread and take of the juice, how does the story end for us?
Is there anybody in your life that has offended you, that has hurt you? And you're carrying that offense. You're carrying it because we're about ready to enter into a time where we take of the bread and we take of the juice. When the scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that we're to live a life of forgiveness and freedom. As the servers begin passing the bread and the juice, there's two cups, one on top of the other. You just pull both cups off, pass the plate to the person next to you. So long as you're a believer, we invite you to take communion with us. You don't have to be a member of Fellowship of the Rockies. But what Paul said in Corinthians is this. Is that before you take of the bread, before you take of the juice, examine your life to see where you are or where you're at. And if you need to make any changes to better align with him, make that commitment, make that change. So in just a few minutes, we'll take the bread and the juice together as a church family. But while you sit there, would you just hold the bread and juice in place? And would you examine your life to see what your next step is? John 3.16 says this, says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. That whoever shall believe in him should not perish. When we start a relationship with him, we are always his son. 
we're always his daughter. We're not a hired servant. We're not a slave. We're his. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what we celebrate when we take communion. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, before he led the church through this process, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when, when he was betrayed, when he was offended, when he was hurt, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Do this in remembrance of me. So before we take of the bread, we remember his sacrifice. That he went to the cross on our behalf. He took on our sin. And while we were still sinners, he died for us. And this issue of grace is, it is free so that no man may boast. And we remember that he went to the cross. We remember when we met him and how our life changed after coming into a relationship with him. Before we take of the bread, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love and we just thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the, just the power of your word. And may it just speak to us as it has through this entire service. And we just tell you thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please? Paul goes on and says, in the same way also, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, this is part of our testimony. This is saying that we're his and that we're in a relationship with him. This is part of our testimony as believers that we do corporately together. And it's also a proclamation that one day we're, we're going to see Jesus Christ face to face. And he is the one that will be leading this time in heaven. And we thank him for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the shedding of your blood, for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we thank you that you who knew no sin became sin for us, took on our sin so that we may live in freedom. And Father, we thank you that we have freedom in Christ and you're the one that gives us our freedom. Not a government, not man, not anyone else. That we are free because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that this day. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please? Just bow your heads and close your eyes. 
And let me just ask you with the heads bowed, eyes closed, what is, what is God saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you as a result of this message? Maybe more importantly, how does he want you to respond? The, every time we engage in God's word, there's a response. There's a next step for each one of us. What is your next step? What is your next step? What is he asking you to do? And then you're willing to take that next step. Maybe you'd say, you know what, I, I'm carrying a burden. I just have a prayer request. I'm just, I'm asking God for something. Or I need God to do something in my life. We just want to pray for you. We really do. This is the time in our service when we minister to each other. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. That After I pray in a few moments, we're going to stand. And when we stand, as you stand up, would you just respond to him that if you need prayer and just begin making your way down to the front. We we'll have prayer partners here. We have people trained in this area. You can come as a family. You can come as long. You can come as a couple. However, but if you're carrying a burden, listen. We have story after story what God has done in front of this place when people just humbled themselves and prayed. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, you come after I pray and we stand. Father, we thank you. Just the power of your name. And would you pull this church very closely? You would. We know that you're in our midst. Which we know that you're the one we're responding to. Not to a church, not to a pastor. We're responding to you. And would burdens be lifted? Would prayers be answered? Father, we thank you for the number of answered prayers that we've had. We've looked forward to see what you're going to do. May people respond to you today and be ministered to and find comfort, encouragement, and support. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.